Let me ask you this question. For those of you who were here, that's what we've been doing, but for those of you who, who were here last week, do you remember what we talked about last Sunday night? Do you remember the title? Or maybe you still have your notes. What did we talk about last Sunday night? Oblivious to the obvious. Oblivious to the obvious, exactly. And there was two lessons we talked about, just to rehearse a little bit. Two lessons we talked about were these. Number one, we said the pleasure of your sin is not worth the pain that you will feel later. The pleasure of your sin is not worth the pain that you will feel later. The second thing we talked about was this. People can see what we are oblivious to, so you need to listen to them. You know, the reason for that title is basically people all the time say, well, I didn't see it coming. I, didn't un- I don't understand how this happened. They were oblivious to what everybody else could see. And so the second point is people can see what you are oblivious to. So listen to them. That was last week. Tonight, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about your sin of choice. Your sin of choice. I, I came in today and I, was, I tried to print, I'm going to print you out an outline and I don't know what's wrong with the copier, but it said something about some error message, and it won't let me do anything anymore. So I'm sure the ladies tomorrow morning will enjoy whatever I did. Uh, I'll probably hear it from them. I, I don't know what happened to it, but, but it wouldn't print. So uh, you don't have an outline tonight. Um, but here's the title again. If you're taking notes, I hope you've got something to take notes with. Here's the title again, Your Sin of Choice. I chose that title carefully because... Not all sin is equally tempting. Would you agree with that? Not all sin is equally tempting. There are areas of your life where you are, where you are strong and you can resist Satan's temptations with very little problem. In fact, there are areas in your life where his temptations don't seem to be very tempting at all. And then there are areas of your life where you tend to give in with very little resistance. I thought about, you know, maybe, maybe that's why Satan tempted Jesus three times. Maybe he was trying to find his sin of choice. Maybe he was trying to find where he's susceptible. Maybe he was trying to find what's your weak point. Of course, Jesus didn't give in to temptation. Jesus didn't sin at all. He experienced every temptation that we've experienced, yet without sin, the Bible says. Uh, He had no sin of choice, but we do, don't we? We do. And Satan knows what buttons to push to defeat us and sometimes to even destroy us because he knows our sin of choice. I thought I'd give you an an illustration that help you come to terms with this idea that there is a sin of choice and don't take this too far. It's just an illustration. But, you know, I have no problem resisting. um, How do I say this? I have no problem, maybe I'll say it this way. I have no problem turning down a Coca-Cola. I really don't. Coke is not a temptation for me in the least. It never has been. Coca-Cola has never been a temptation for me. You can put a Coca-Cola in my refrigerator. It will be there until the day I die. Except you're not putting one in my refrigerator. <laughs> but, but seriously, you, you could put a Coca-Cola in front of me It'd be ice cold. I have no desire for that. I have, it is not a temptation for me whatsoever. Pepsi, on the other hand, is different. You see, I've already had one of these today. It was a can. It wasn't a bottle. It was a can. 
But, but, but only, I got this one for illustrative purposes only. You understand that, right? Yesterday, I had breakfast at the ham house. Anybody ever eaten at the ham house? I was there with the BSF class, and, you know, I didn't know this. The, the ham house serves Pepsi. Now, what's better than country ham and Pepsi? I mean, I, this is like glory, you know? This is just wonderful. So I had one, and then I had another, and I was thinking, I want a third one. And then the lady, I won't say who it was, but the lady across from me said, how many Pepsis do you drink a day? So I backed off. I didn't order the third one. <laughs> but I wanted to. You see, drinking too many Pepsis is an ongoing struggle for me. Now, please don't come up to me afterwards and harass me about drinking Pepsis. I know, I know it's bad. I know it's not good. I know it's not healthy. All right? I understand that. But I also understand this. This is an ongoing struggle for me. Coca-Cola, never. This, every day. What's your sin of choice? Don't, don't say that out loud. Don't tell us out loud. But I bet you've got at least one, maybe more. It's things you tend to do. Things you're drawn towards. Things, you, things that you know are wrong, but you keep going back to it. Things that you promised God you'd never do again, yet you do. Things that you know have severe consequences, and yet you do them anyway. Things that may even hurt the, lo- the ones that you love the most, and you keep going back to it in spite of that. That is your sin of choice. I told you that I've been reading this book by Andy Stanley and all of this is kind of tied together and there's a paragraph in the book that I want to read to you. He said, you would think that at some point on the IQ scale, the human species would quit making decisions that lead to regret. It seems like we would outgrow the propensity to make stupid decisions, but we don't. Our problem really stems from from a lack of information or insight. It's something else, something we don't outgrow, something that another academic degree won't resolve. Our problem, listen to this, our problem stems from the fact that we're not on a truth quest. That is, we don't wake up every morning with a burning desire to know what's true or what's right. Hear this, listen to what he says. He said, our problem is that we're on a happiness quest. We want to feel happy. I read that, I thought, he nailed it. 32 years of pastoring, and I know for sure he nailed it. Our problem is not a truth quest. Our problem is not that we don't know right from wrong. Our problem is not that we're trying to to find what's true and what's real. No, 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 no. No, our problem is we're on a happiness quest. We want to do what will make us happy. When happiness, and, and there's two problems with that approach. Listen to, listen to these two problems. Number one, when happiness points in one direction and truth points in the other direction, really smart people start doing really stupid things. Because they stand at the fork and they say, okay, now truth would say this is what I, common sense says this is what I need to do. This is the direction I need to go. Happiness says, no, it's over here. Happiness says it's down this road. And that's when really smart people start doing really dumb things. Number two, the second problem with that approach to life is this. 
This is so true. What makes me feel happy today may fill me with regret tomorrow. Isn't that true? What I thought would give me happiness leads to remorse. What I thought would make me feel good fills me with regret. And sometimes we're so slow to understand that. We're we're like this story I read about. (laughs) I think it's a true story. This lady, because this lady was given a testimony. She said, my six-year-old was having a tough time adjusting to first grade. She She said, in fact, at least twice a week, I got a note from the teacher explaining his latest infraction. First grader. The kid's bringing home notes at least twice a week. This is what he did today. This is how he messed up today. She finally said, I sat him down and I looked at him and in a stern voice I said, I don't want any more notes from your teacher. He said, all right, Mom. Pause. He said, are you going to tell her or do you want me to? (laughs) I love that story. Sometimes we have this difficulty grasping reality. We don't understand the situation. And listen, listen to me. That's especially true when we keep going back to the same sin over and over. We don't grasp reality. We don't understand the depth of the problem. And the Bible addresses that in a text that uh, Andy Stanley, uh, he used it in the second week, for those of you who have been watching this. He, he put it up on his screen. It's in Proverbs 26. Uh, But he really didn't talk about it. He just kind of used it as an illustration. So what we've been trying to do on Sunday nights is is pick out some of the things that he talks about and go deeper on it. And so he used this verse in week two. I want to go back to it because the Bible describes the problem that we all have with pretty graphic terms. I'm going to take a drink of this and put it away. Here's what the Bible says. I don't know if you've ever read this verse. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. This verse is a verse you probably didn't expect to find in the Bible. If you don't read the Bible a whole lot, maybe you thought, wow, I I never thought it would be anything like that. Here's what this verse is showing us. First of all, it's showing us, number one, we knowingly return to sin again and again. We knowingly return to sin again and again. Through this study in Proverbs, the theme that for the study is walking in wisdom. And I think the reason that we need to talk about walking in wisdom is because sometimes we lack wisdom so much. You see, what makes a foolish person foolish? And the writer of Proverbs gives us a great illustration of what it's like. He says, as a dog returns to its vomit. I mean, is that gross or what? Have you ever seen a dog return to its vomit? Did you just say all the time? Oh, oh, I thought you said all the time. How many people have seen a dog go to its vomit? Why do they do that? I don't understand that. I mean, is there anything more disgusting than watching a dog dog go... And all the slimy stuff starts coming out? I'm not trying to make you sick, but (laughs) Donna Porter's over here going, oh, I don't want to look. (laughs) And then after it, 
It'll walk around for a minute, start eating grass, and what does it do? Ooh, there's some good stuff right here, and it goes right back. Starts licking up. Yeah, get it while it's still warm. (laughs) I really didn't intend to go that graphic on you, but... (laughs) So much for going out to eat after church tonight, right? All right, let, let, me try to, let me try to focus back. I, I think Solomon is writing about something he's seen before. I, I think Solomon, you know, in that day, of course, they didn't, most of the time, they, they, they didn't have dogs as pets like we do. Dogs just roamed the streets and they were scavengers. And you know how dogs can eat the wrong thing. And when, they, when they're scavenging like that, they'll eat the wrong thing and they'll get sick and they'll throw up. And, and, and Solomon... Solomon saw the dogs do that and, and go back. Go back to that. And, and then he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool. A fool repeats his folly. So let's do a word study tonight. First of all, let's look at the word returns. Return to a point, or the word return means return to a point or area where one has been before. Return to a point or an area where one has been before. In this case, the dog returns back to its vomit. In other words, they're right back to the place where they were sick. They're right back where they left that disgusting place. Watch this. They left that disgusting place. They, they walked away from it. They left that disgusting place. Then they returned to it. I've seen people do that all the time. I've seen people do that again and again. People with addictions do that a lot. They say, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. And then they suddenly go right back to the place where they swore they'd never go. They go right back to that bar. They go right back to that computer. They go right back to the arms of that woman. Go right back to the vomit. And they live in a cycle. A cycle of repenting and returning. Repenting and returning. Repenting and returning. second word I want to study is the word vomit. Now, you didn't expect that tonight. I understand that. And I'm going to try not to be too gross on you here. But the picture here is not just of a dog sniffing the vomit. But what does, what does he actually do in this text? The, ball, the dog returns to its vomit. Now, you and I, if you've seen that, and most of you said, you raised your hand and said, I've seen it. I know what you're talking about. Still happen, it happened in Bible days, still happens today. If you've seen that, you know how irrational that is. That's the key word. You know how irrational that is. Why would an animal, why would an animal lap up that which made it sick? The same thing could be said of us, though. Why do we keep taking in those things that make us sick spiritually? 
why do we keep participating in those things that keep hurting us? Matthew Henry describes people who do, this, who do that this way. He said, they have licked up their own vomit again, returning to the same errors and impieties they had once cast off and seemed to detest and loathe. Matthew Henry said, we, we, we find ourselves going back to those things that we loathe. We find ourselves going back to those things that we detest. We find ourselves going back to those things that, that hurt us, that, that, that sickened us. Then we go back to it. We're drawn to it. Now, the question is, what would you call a person who does that? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. The Bible says that person is a fool. Right there in the text, as a dog returns to its vomit, returns to the very place where they've had problems and sickness, as a dog returns to its vomit, it, it tried to get away from it, it walked away from it, and now it returns to it. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. I want you to notice the word repeats. What does a fool do? According to this verse, a fool, a fool repeats is folly. There's actually three Hebrew words for, for the word repeat that we have in English. I'm just going to talk to you about one of them. It's the word, if you want to write it down, E-V-I-Y-L. That's the, the English transliteration of the, of the Hebrew word, E-V-I-Y-L. It's pronounced evil. Evil is the Hebrew word. It's used 19 times in the book of Proverbs. The fool, the evil. This word describes a person who's been acting like an idiot for a long time. That's really what it means. It's a, it's a, you could put it down this way. It's a fool of long standing. This is the kind of guy who, who never learns, never seems to remember, never seems to be able to remember what he said he was going to stop doing. This is the guy who, who doesn't rationalize. The last time I went over there, I got hurt. This is the lady who, who doesn't understand the last time I opened that computer, I messed up. This is a person who doesn't seem to grasp the last time I picked up that bottle, I went on a drinking bench. And the Bible says the person who keeps going back to that vomit, who keeps repeating that action, is a fool. You may say, well, Pastor, I, Pastor Keith, I, I, you know, wouldn't it be better just to say that they're unwise? Wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be kind of nicer just to say that they're unwise? Well, <clears throat> if, you want to call, if you want to say that, you can, but it just never seems to me to be just unwise. It seems to me to be foolish. I want you to open your Bibles, Proverbs 22, or turn in your Bibles, Proverbs 22, verse 15. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Folly, not unwise, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Now, the reason I chose this verse is, is for this reason. We understand sometimes when children are choosing the wrong way. We understand sometimes when children need correction. 
We understand as adults, as parents, as, as, as adults, we can look at our children and say, uh, they're, they're doing the wrong thing. They're choosing the wrong thing. They're heading the wrong way. And, and we understand as parents that we need to take corrective actions because we don't want them to act foolishly. We understand, watch this, certain paths lead to problems. And so we try to correct their ways. Because folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. You see, our problem is not information. Not usually that we lack information. Our problem is not usually that we lack insight. Our problem is that we have the information, we have the insight, and we keep returning to the vomit. Well, we know. Remember in week two, if you were listening to Andy Stanley, he, he, he talked about the three people, that the simple, the fool, and the mocker. And he said, he, he said this about the, about the fool. He said, the fool knows what he's doing is wrong, but he's going to do it anyway. The fool knows that it's going to hurt him, but he's going to do it anyway. He knows that it may hurt his family, but he's going to do it anyway. He knows that it might ruin his reputation, but he's going to do it anyway. So the question is, what in the world do we do about this kind of repetitive sin? What, do we, what in the world do we do about this sin of choice? And why do we have this problem? I'm going to give you three reasons if you're taking notes. I think there's three reasons, and then I'm going to give you some practical steps we can take to hopefully break out of this bondage. Three reasons we re- keep returning to the vomit. Number one, we've never faced the reality of our repetitive sin. We've never really faced the reality that we have a repetitive sin problem. We've, we've never truly admitted that. We keep thinking we can handle it. We keep thinking that it's okay. We keep thinking it's not a big deal. We keep thinking things are going to work out. We keep thinking a lot of different things, but we've never faced the reality that I'm returning to my vomit. And it might just be that you need to put on a three-by-five card and tape it somewhere. Don't go back to the vomit. You may need to tape it in a strategic location. Don't go back to the vomit. To remind yourself you don't need that, you don't want that, and you need to stay away from that. We've never faced the reality of repetitive sin. We've never faced the reality that we have a sin of choice. And until you face the reality that you have a sin of choice, until you identify it and you name it and you claim it, you'll never have victory over it. You need to face your sin of choice or you'll never defeat it number two we've confused remorse and repentance what's remorse I've done a lot of talking now and I haven't let you do a lot of talking what's remorse that's an easy question what yeah you regret I'm sorry I did that You, you regret that you did it and you tell your wife, you tell your husband, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't want to, I didn't mean to, I'm so sorry. Or you tell God, I'm so sorry I did that, I, I'm so sorry. That's remorse. Penance. It's when you walk away from it. Do whatever you need to to 
turn away from that repetitive sin. You do whatever you need to to turn your back on that sin of choice. It's a difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is, I'm sorry that I did it. Repentance is, I never plan to do it again. There's a huge difference there. I'm taking action because I never plan to do it again. That's repentance. Number three, the third reason we have problems. First one, we never face reality of repetitive sin. Secondly, we've confused remorse and repentance. Number three, put a star beside number three before you even write it down. Here's what number three is. We lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. This is why we return to our vomit. We lie to ourselves. We stand at the crossroads trying to decide what to do, and we lie to ourselves, and we opt for happiness. We tell ourselves, this is where truth tells me I should go. This is where common sense tells me I should go. This is where my gut tells me I should go. This is where the Bible tells me I should go. Happiness seems to be down that road. And so we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves and say, this is the way I need to go. This is where I'll find happiness. We probably know deep down inside, eventually it's going to lead to remorse. Eventually it's going to lead to regret. Eventually it's going to lead to pain. But we keep telling ourselves, no, happiness is down this road. I just got to go a little further. I just got to go one more time. I just got to try it again. I just got to try somebody else. I just got to try it. We keep going down that road looking for happiness, lying to ourselves every step we take. And the amazing thing is we believe ourselves for a while, don't we? That's why we keep walking down that road. Because we're not on a truth quest. Truth is over here. We're not on a truth quest. We're on a happiness quest. I want to feel happy. So if my wife or my husband can't make me happy, I'm going to go look for somebody that can. I want to feel happy. And so if I can't find it here, I'm going to go find it in a bottle. I want to feel happy. Really smart people do really stupid things. And here's the problem. Once you start down that road, listen, this, this, this is so good. Once you start down that road, searching for happiness, lying to yourself, you know what you do? You tell your brain to justify the decision you've made. You come up with an excuse for the reason that you need to go down that road. You come up with a reason to try to justify what you're doing. and The reason to justify, well, because she didn't, or because he didn't, or because I didn't have this. Or uh, We try to justify the decision that we've made. We know it's not a godly decision. We know it's not a right decision. But we're on a happiness quest. And so we try as best we can to justify the lie we keep telling ourselves. We, we deceive ourselves, and then we try to tell our brains to justify it. So what do we do about all this? In the last 10 minutes, let me give you some practical steps you can take to hopefully break out of that bondage. And I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture. And I'm in, listen to me, I'm, I'm intentionally not going to read it all. I'm going to give you a lot of homework, basically is what I'm doing. Give you a lot of stuff that you can go back and dig into. Okay, so if you got something to take notes with, I'm going to give you four practical steps, and I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture to go back and dig in. Because you don't have to keep return, returning to the vomit. 
I want to start by going to Colossians chapter 3. I am going to read that one because this is going to be the foundation for the four things I'm going to give you. Colossians chapter 3. Let me set the stage before I read the text. When you willingly or even unknowingly are under the control or the power of something other than the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. When you willingly or even unknowingly are under the control of something other than the power of the Holy Spirit. It might be drugs, it might be sex, it might be alcohol, it might be another person. The Bible calls that bondage. You are in bondage to sin. Now, let's see what God says about this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on what, church? Earthly things. And here's the reason. Verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The power of Christ in your life does more than simply restrain the desires of the flesh. The power of Christ within you has the power to give you different desires. He says, set your heart on things above, not on earthly things. God has the ability, or you now have the ability, through through Christ living in you, To have different desires. God can change your heart. He can change your want to. So let me give you four practical steps to freedom over your sin of choice. Again, I'm just going to state them. Give you a lot of scripture you can dig into later. Number one, first of all, make sure you've been born again. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to uh, accuse you. But if you have experienced the spiritual new birth, becoming a believer and a follower of Jesus, you need to understand you're no longer under the bondage of Satan. Now let me give you three scriptures to dig into. John 3.3. 3, John 3.3. 3, John 3.16-21. 3, and Romans 10, verses 8-11. through 11. Now, write down this this little phrase under that to help you. Nature determines appetite. Nature determines appetite. A Christian has the very nature of God within him or her. Therefore, we should have godly desires. Now, I understand that there will be temptations. I understand there will be opportunities around us. But I also understand this. Because of the godly Uh, because of God living in you, you should have the desire to do what is godly. Does that make sense to anybody? Because of God living in you, you should have the desire to do what is godly. Now, you won't always choose the right way. You won't always do the godly thing. But because God lives in you, you should have at least the desire to do what is godly. And so you have to ask yourself, If I have no desire to do what is godly, if my desire is always only to please me, do I even know him? The big question. 
If my desire is only and always to please me, if I'm always on a happiness quest, maybe it's because I've never really met him. Again, I'm not trying to accuse you. I'm not trying to say, hey, if you sin tomorrow, it's a sign that you're not saved. I'm not saying that. But if you're always on a happiness quest, your desire is always to please you, you need to ask yourself, have I been born again? Because you should have a desire to please Him. Number two, you are immediately to stop yielding to or placing yourself under the control of sin that has enslaved you. I'll say it again, then explain that. Immediately stop yielding to or placing yourself under the control of any sin that has enslaved you. Instead, I'm going to explain this. Instead, determine to place yourself under the control of the Holy Spirit and wholeheartedly commit to obeying God's Word. Here's, the, here's what all of that means. It means that if I'm going to overcome this sin of choice, I have to make a decision. I'm going to stop this through the power of God that lives within me. And I'm going to start obeying what God says in His Word. I want to tell you something. You don't have the willpower to do that on your own. I don't have the willpower to do that on my own. But if God lives in you, you do have the desire and you do have the power to obey His Word if you're willing to. Let me give you some scriptures to, to dig into that. Uh, look at, don't, don't look at it now, but write this down. Romans 6, 11 through 18. Romans 6, 11 through 18. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. And Ephesians 5, verse 18. Here's number three. And I know this is long, but, but I'll repeat it a couple of times. Make a thorough biblical evaluation of when, where, how, and with whom you tend to commit sin. Make a thorough biblical evaluation of when, where, how, and with whom you tend to commit sin. And develop a biblical plan to put on the full armor of God. Say it again. Make a thorough biblical evaluation of when, where, how, and with whom you tend to commit sin. And develop a biblical plan to overcome by putting on the full, full armor of God. I'll give you a lot of scripture again. Romans 6, 12 through 13. Romans 6, 12 through 13. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12. Ephesians 2, 10. Ephesians 2, 10. Also Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. I'm about out of time, so let me go to the fourth one. Number four. Tap into God's gracious wisdom. Tap into God's gracious wisdom in dealing with your problems by asking in faith, living according to God's word, and depending on God's power. Tap into the gracious into God's gracious wisdom in dealing with your problems by asking in faith living according to God's word, and depending on God's power. I'm going to give you scripture for each of those three. 
Again, I know it's a lot of stuff to write down, but if you want to come up afterwards, I'll give you uh, some help. Here's those three things again. Asking in faith, Hebrews 4.16 and James 1, 5 through 8. Living according to God's word, James 1, 22 through 25. James 1, 22 through 25. And depending on his power, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 5. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 5. And Philippians 4, 13. All right. I want to close with this story. It's entitled, An Autobiography in Five Short Paragraphs. Listen to this. Day one. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Day two. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. Day three, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. And it's my fault. Day four, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Day five, I walk down a different street. Isn't it time to walk down some different streets? When you had a fork in the road between happiness now and happiness later, I hope that you'll have the clarity and the courage. Say, God, give me wisdom. What's the wise thing to do? As Andy Stanley says, in light of my past experience, in light of my future hopes and dreams, in light, of, in light of all that I've been through, what is the wise thing to do in this situation?